Welcome back to Nocturnal Journal on WGN and in the studio, still celebrating the 100th birthday of Pete Seeger, is author, educator, Meryl Danziger. Thanks for coming in tonight, Meryl. Thank you so much for having me. And you're, the, you're in town. You're in town at the Old Town School to talk about your book, Sing It, a biography of Pete Seeger. Yes. And it's a fascinating book. Talk about the book and who the readers for this book are. Well... Um, this was a labor of love, of course, that grew out of a, a collaboration with Pete Seeger that lasted quite a long time, and this sprouted from the first incarnation of the book. Um, now it's Sing It, a biography of Pete Seeger, and uh, it was written for young readers, but it's turning out to be of interest to their parents and grandparents and other Pete Seeger fans. Yeah, I mean, it's written. I mean, can we nail down an age group? I mean, when I heard about it, I thought it was like kids, but it's like I would say young adults, maybe. I mean, it's an, it's a breezy, well written. It's, it's right, right. Yeah. It's, it really sort of crosses some borders. It's uh, it was written for maybe age nine to eleven in mind, or something like that, and now it's turned out to be. I've had a lot of adults come back and say they've learned a lot and really enjoyed the, the style. So, yeah. Uh, what was your introduction to, to Pete in, in your life? In my life, I just I grew up in that generation mm-hmm. that learned all the songs that, that that they knew from Pete and the Weavers, and it was the folk era. Um, so he was kind of embedded in my whole childhood and upbringing. And where was that at? What part of the country? Um, I grew up in. I was born in Manhattan. And I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. And was there music around the house? Was there activism? What did your parents do? Really interesting. Um, I am, Pete Seeger learned music by having a house full of instruments, and he was free to explore them if and when he wanted to. I grew up in exactly that environment where there, was, there were instruments all around, and nobody told me what to do, and I really think that it's a great way to develop your musicality. Um, yeah. What did your parents do? Um, my father uh, had written a column for the New York Times, a rare books column, um, oh. until the McCarthy era. So another little parallel there. And then what happened? <laughs> and he mysteriously lost his position there, and the family sort of never really talked about that. But you can sort of imagine, I guess. Uh-huh. And my mother was an actress, um, and they, you know, were very, were. Advocates of music and the arts and things like that. So it was it was in the fabric of my upbringing. So you already answered. Uh, I, I had a question of were there books around the house? I'm, obviously, there Lots had to be books, books. around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. What, I, what type of stuff do you remember reading around the house? Oh, you know, it was just full of these great dusty old books. Um, some esoteric things and some beautifully bound great literature. And I've managed to keep some of them and in my little apartment because I can't imagine living somewhere without those books. And now, had you always pursued writing? Um, Absolutely this, this your, not. Okay. This is Never. like your first book. This, this is, um, I started another book and sort of completed it, but then when this started to happen with the Pete Seeger book, that went on the back burner. Um, and... This is my first published book. I never wrote a thing, really, till adulthood. Um, rebelled against my whole family of writers. <laughs> um, and now I can't stop, now that I started. Um, you had involved, you're involved in something called the Music House in New York. I created the Music okay. House. Talk, with that, talk about what that is. Okay, so in a nutshell, Music House, the idea of it is to align musical doing with the interests, needs, 
and readiness of the person who's doing it. So rather than say, let's just arbitrarily pick an instrument and start classical violin lessons or whatever the way it's often done, um, this is about exploring many kinds of instruments, many kinds of musical activities with the goal of figuring out what your inclinations are musically and then sprouting your learning from who you actually are. Are you a creator? Are you a how-to or what is it? And it seems like a great thing. It's something I love to do. One of the cornerstones of your teachings is that all of us have musical potential. Absolutely. And that's certainly something that I'm sure we're going to talk about your connection with Pete in a minute, but I'm sure that's something that resonated with him because that's something he believed in. Right. And and actually, Pete, uh, I was telling him one time we were on the phone and I was telling him about my music house program and he said, oh, you should uh, check out Old Town Music School. And he's I'd never heard of it. And he's in Chicago. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and he's just started to sing the praises and ta- talk about Bess Lomax and ukulele classes that they did. And I was like, well, I see why he made that connection. Was this the first time, uh, this visit for the 100th birthday, uh, was this the first time you were at the Old Town School? First time. Yeah. Were you and important? I wanted to come for a long time, but this was a great opportunity. And you read, did you read from the book? Or? I read a little bit. I talked about uh, why I wrote it, um, what's the relevance of, for for young readers today, and how this miracle story of how the whole book happened because of Pete, and how did it happen? I mean, you were was there a play for his ninetieth birthday? Yes. Talk yes. about the entry points. Uh, okay, well, yeah. I was working in a public school mm-hmm. in New York City, and Pete Seeger's ninetieth birthday was coming up. And every year I had written a play about some famous person, and I, the idea being that my third graders would perform the play. And by performing the play, they'd learn about this person and also become the teachers for the audience. And so it was Pete's birthday, and I thought, well, this is a a good opportunity to introduce my kids to Pete because we sing his songs, they know his events and his friends, but they really don't know who he is. Um, So I wrote this play, and I had two classes, which equaled 56 kids who all wanted parts. So, of course, we had about 10 Pete Seegers and eight... Woody Guthrie's and several wives and you know that's not a bad thing we need <laughs> no, more of that yeah. yeah it was like a jigsaw puzzle yeah. everybody had a tiny important thing to do yeah. and uh but Pete was uh, the first living legend I'd ever written a play about and the kids got very excited they said let's invite him so I sent him a letter inviting him and of course I heard nothing because this was a few weeks before his huge birthday party at Madison Square Garden So there was no chance he was going to come, and I didn't want my kids to be upset. What could you do? So the school made a mistake. A few days before the show, they told me we couldn't have the auditorium when we were supposed to have it, which was on a Monday, and we were moving the whole thing to Tuesday. And as an afterthought, I was like, you know, I sent Pete an invitation. What if he shows up on Monday? I should uh, FedEx him a letter express mail him a letter and just make sure he knows i express mailed him a letter saying we've changed the day it's tuesday next day was a saturday and i'm in my house and the phone rings and i pick it up and i hear what's this about a play and it was pete seeger and he was curious because that was who he was and checking it out and that led to him coming to the play uh, suggesting that we work on the play to fix the mistakes because he was an incorrigible fixer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, 
And I suggested a book because I, I knew how excited my kids were there, but other kids had never heard of Pete Seeger. So I thought, well, the book will get out to a wider audience. So we worked on it together for three years, back and forth. Well, as you point out in the book, he didn't use email. He didn't even own a computer. No. So I had to send him what I'd written. I'm reading off of page 91. Mm-hmm. I had to send him what I'd uh, written the old-fashioned way. I put the manuscript in a large manila envelope and bring it to the post office. Exactly. It was yeah. the only way. It was a, quite, a, quite a process. And if some time would go by, he'd send it back, crisscross things, X's, edits, no, this is wrong, call me, we have to talk about this. So I would call him, and uh, he'd give me his number every time he made, you know, he needed me to call him. And I would call him and say, is this a good time? And he'd say, well, I have a few minutes. And then, of course, it would turn into an hour. And I would lie, recline on my couch, holding the phone with the voice of Pete Seeger in my ear, telling me all about the 20th and 21st century. It was a phenomenal experience working together. Uh, yeah, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of, of his editing and, and your writing. It's a fascinating book. Tell, tell the listeners before we take a break here how people can find it. It is on Amazon. It's also on my publisher's website, Seven Stories Press. I believe it's at Barnes & Noble and all of the sort of usual suspects of places that you find books. It's a fun book. Are kids are kids digging it? I mean, it's it's really you know people who who read it know about it and read it seem to really love it. I mm. even love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks so much for coming down to see us. My we're going to take a break, and we're going to be back and talk more about the great and the immortal Pete Seeger yeah. after this on WGN. Welcome back to Nocturnal Journal on WGN, and we're in the studio with author Meryl Danz- Danzinger. Doing okay here. And uh, who wrote the biography of Pete Seeger, <laughs> Sing It. And uh, we heard there a snippet. I covered a lot of music in 30 years at the Chicago Sun-Times, a lot of live shows. And uh, I was dispatched uh, to Washington, D.C. for the first Obama inauguration. And I was not far from the stage when, um, when Seeger and Springsteen sang that. And I'm telling you, I still get goosebumps when I think about Pete Seeger on those steps. Right. Singing that song. And then I looked at, and preparing for the show, then I, I, you know, I I looked at the YouTube video of that. People should see it. And, um, you know, the the hope and the the vibe of the audience. It's just, it's. And how many people were there? (laughs) Yeah. There were a lot. A lot of people. Do you get that? I'm sure you get that question a lot is like, what would Pete say about the climate today? Well, it's really interesting. You know, um, David Amram, mm-hmm. um, who was the Renaissance, a Renaissance man of the 20th century and continues at the age of 88 to do what he's always done. He's really carrying on Pete's legacy. Um, he, when I was writing this book, I had a, a wish that he might write the blurb for it, but I just couldn't really ask him. And lo and behold, he offered it. And so on the cover... Yeah. David Amram wrote the blurb, and I went to an event of his last week, and um, he started to talk about Pete, and he said, you know, one thing, Pete didn't complain, and he didn't despair. He didn't believe in it. He existentially did not, would not go there. He, uh, because people are doing quite a bit of, at least in Manhattan, where I am, they were doing a lot of moping around and kind of, uh, oh, this isn't good, and that isn't good, and Pete didn't do that. He he was a fixer, but he wasn't a complainer. And um, I think if he were here, he would say, "Come on, everybody, chill out and let, let's do something." You yeah, know? 
Yeah. Um, the book is for, um, I'm going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, young adults. Not it's, little kids. Well, I mean, I don't it know. Maybe was the target. If ask my publisher. <laughs> it was in age eight or nine and up. But I mean, I'm sure that's why it resonated with him because, and I'd seen him perform, and I'd see <clears> him bring local choirs from Chicago and the suburbs on the stage with. I sent you a little article I wrote when he passed, and he just loved connecting with young people. He loved the voices of young people. I think he loved the hope in their voices and stuff. And uh, in your book, you write here: if young people could see themselves as links. In a chain, then Pete felt there would be hope for the world. Exactly. When, in your correspondence with him over those three years and stuff, and he knew the direction this book was going, uh, did that uh, target of young people? How did that resonate with him? He, I think he was on, he was on board with that. I yeah. don't know that the book could have ever been completed while he was around because he was just such a meticulous editor. It was you know he would edit his own edits, and it just was kind of an endless process. But in terms of the idea of, you know, because when I first said to him, you know, there is no book about you for children. And his whole, he said, singing with children in the schools has been the most rewarding experience of my life. We're all links in a chain. You know, he was all about taking, knowing what came before and being the torchbearer and then passing it on. So it was very important. And he, he knew that, that it was important for this to be passed along. He told me that one time. I told you. He said he he goes uh, he goes he wanted to you know he wanted to be he told me this at age sixty five. He still wanted to be a newspaper reporter. <laughs> it's a nice way of being where the action is without being responsible for it all myself. But then he said, now I re- realize we're all responsible in a sense. But did you get that feeling from him? I mean, he must have. You, you talk about what a what a tough editor he was. You did go back and forth. Yeah, he was. He was. He had high standards for himself and for everybody else, and I think that's in the book, too, about, yeah. you know, just he he came from a standpoint of how can we make it better? You can always make it better. What can we do? It was just his, his default. Yeah, yeah. How did, um, how did your experience at Music House, how did that influence the, the writing and the assemblage of this book? Well, it's, it's such an interesting question because... I felt a link with Pete in that, you know, you don't run into lots of people who learned music that way. And just the fact that there was something, it's, you know, was sort of, we had the kind of similar background. So how, that's a good question. I'm not sure. How did it affect the writing of the book? I'm not sure how much Music House came into it. Little, little mentions here and there maybe about... um you know that the, the way he learned that uh, that I was it came across that I was an advocate of that of of exploring and when I described <laughs> how he he learned music, I think I mentioned somewhere that um, it's a nice way to learn music. Just and and of course, growing up in a climate of of, of open ears and open minds, you know that's 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 what that's what Pete yeah Seeger, exactly Pete Seeger, right. Pete Seeger yeah. was was all about. Did you t- discuss with him a couple more things? Um, just about the power of song. I know that was important to him. Just the power of a song and stuff. And do you have any favorite songs um, of, of his of, songs? out of his library? Yeah. Gosh, a favorite. I I love "Turn, Turn, Turn" and yeah. the Hammer song. Um, although I I do default to the Peter Paul and Mary version, and uh-huh. he says that's when it got popular. So I I'm in good company. Um, I love his "Quite Early Morning" and. Uh, to my old brown earth is just a heart wrencher. 
I'll now give these last few molecules of I. And he sang it when he was quite old. Yeah. So yeah. He, just, he just kept going and did what he did. Um, had you written... Have you read many of the uh, Seeger books? Have you re- read much material uh, before you did this uh, growing up, in, or did you want to stay away from it? Or? No, in, well, in, all there was to read was a whole bunch of biographies of him. Yeah. And I did read all of those a few times each <laughs> because I, I felt that there was more likelihood that those they would have those stories straight than... Um, Wikipedia, you know, because yeah. because you, you you research Pete online and you will just get way too much information of questionable credence, you know. Um, but his daughter Tinya and her son Kitama at some point came on board with the book and were incredibly helpful in sorting fact from fiction, and really went to a lot of trouble to give Pete-like meticulous edits. So this did not happen. It happened this way. And I am so grateful for that for them to do that because how would I know, you know? What would you say, um, what did you learn about him in doing over the three years and the process of doing this book that you didn't know before? Well, I, maybe I learned things I suspected but then experienced, for example, that he was who he seemed to be, mm-hmm. that he did not waver. When uh, I was up at his house during the writing of the first book, um, he, he, cooked, he cooked us some potatoes that just took half a day to cook. I don't know what, what was going on with that. And some hummus that was left over from a peace rally. You know, it was it was Pete all the time, and he would take out books and things and show them to us. And uh, I just I think it really um, cemented the fact that he actually walked the walk and was exactly who he seemed to be. We talked about the uh, you, you meant telling that story reminded me of this this part of your book, the beginning of uh, <laughs> chapter thirteen, uh, and we talked about the Springsteen performance. But you said on a drizzly this is great I, the imagery on a drizzly winter day in two thousand eight, people driving on Route Nine near the city of Beacon, New York, saw an elderly man in a hooded jacket standing on the side of the road. They slowed down to get a better look. It was Pete Seeger holding a sign. Tell the listeners what the sign said. The sign said. What did the sign say? The sign said in one word, peace. Peace. Yeah. Well, yeah. And one year later, he was in front of two million people at the Obama, yeah. Obama inauguration. Yeah. He, he, it was when he was alone and when he was with people. But it was when he was with people that it all um, had meaning for him. You know, um, and he was he was working right up to the very end. He was working in his log cabin or something, chopping he, wood. He, and, was, he was still chopping wood yeah. until a couple of weeks. Before he went, yeah. And singing right till the end, apparently. Age 94? He was 94. 94. You know, um, it's targeted to younger readers, but I think people in the 90s would like this book, too. I agree with you. you. Know, I think so. I, you know, kind I, of as a circle, you know, his life circle. And, you know, yeah. it's just, I mean, I say that because he was so vital in his 90s. Right. You know? Right. That's, a, that's really true. It's a fantastic book. Thank you. Tell the listeners again how uh, they can find Sing It. Um, It is on Amazon. It's on the Seven Stories Press website. That's my publisher. 
um, probably Barnes and Noble. It's in stores. I'm constantly getting emails from people with pictures. Look, I found Sing It Here. I found it in Vermont. I found it in Idaho. Um, but the online and some bookstores, and if it's not in the bookstore, somebody can request it, and it will be in the bookstore. Say somebody's driving around tonight and listening, and they're going, you know. Oh. Out on a field somewhere in a back row of a drive-in movie or something. And uh, saying, who is this Pete Seeger fellow? Uh, how would you answer that question? Who is this Pete Seeger yeah. fellow? He was, a, he was an environmentalist, an activist, um, a peace lover, a musician, a connector, a humanitarian, a humble... Um, mission-driven human being, the likes of which I think I think his legacy will just grow. I think he's one of those people where we're just scratching the surface of the impact of his having been on Earth, a very rare human. You're right. And um, in preparing for this, and we're going to sign off with Pete here in his own words and then some Pete music, but um, in preparing for this, I was listening to some of his music, some of the latter, what we're going to hear now is some of the latter uh, Appleseed stuff uh, when he was 89. And I was, you know, he's one of those guys who just, he's, he's not gone. He's he's part of the air, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well put. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very true. So thank you so much for joining oh, us. Thank you. Thanks so for much. for getting us the book. This is a great segment. Okay. So sing it. A biography of Pete Seeger by Meryl Danziger.